Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we have this opportunity to look into your word, that we have the opportunity to talk about evangelism, sharing our faith, and maybe some of the fears that that brings. God, I pray that you would show us in your word this morning what you want us to be and to be about. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've, uh, if you've been at River Ridge for a year or longer, you may notice that we have some patterns about how we do sermons and sermon series throughout the year, and there's some pattern that we sometimes follow, usually follow, like Christmas time, we talk about the birth of Jesus. At Easter, we talk about the resurrection of Christ, uh, but at August, we typically talk about what is the church, that we do a two or three week series or so helping us to understand what is the church about? What's it to be about? We've done series last year. We did one called This Is Us. We did one called Ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church. We did one called Branded. We did one called The Hills We Die On. One year we looked at the book of Acts and the church in the book of Acts. So we do all these different series, uh, different titles, but they all have a common theme of what is the church supposed to be about? And we do this in August on purpose because it's like August seems like it's the new January. You know, like August is when everything starts back, you know, kids are back to school, jobs get into routines, things like that. And so we want to start every year, this kind of calendar school year, I guess you'd call it, saying, what is the church to be about? Because it can be very easy to get off focus on the church, that we can, you know, that we can make the church about what it's not. You know, sometimes we think, hey, the church, it's a social club. It's a networking club. It's a, it's a place where I want all of my needs met. The church is a building, or the church is a service organization. And I don't ever want us to miss what the church is about. The church is the people of God doing the things of God. And so we always want to remember that that's what we are called to be and to be a part of as a church. And so in this series, a story worth sharing, we looked at kind of where we're at as a church and said, we want to get better at evangelism. Individually and corporately, we want to really do a great job of reaching our community with the gospel. So let's spend three weeks focusing on what that looks like. And this idea of sharing the gospel originates with Jesus, and he says it in a lot of different ways. Let me give you three different ways that he says it. Um, one in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. He says, you will be my witnesses. And he tells them where, he's going to be there, where we are going to be his witnesses. In other words, around the world, we're going to share what we know about Christ. We're going to be a witness to who he is. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's a charge that we have to go and tell the gospel, to make disciples. And then the third place is follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And again, that's us. We're to be fishers of men, bringing people into God's kingdom, working with God to bring people into God's kingdom. And we see this all over the Bible in terms of the charge to us to share the gospel, to be evangelists. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what that means and what that looks like. And I recognize that at our church, people are coming from all different places when we're talking about evangelism. For some of you, this may be a little bit of an odd kind of sermon series because you're here and you're not a Christian yet. You're here and you're examining, kind of figure out, do I believe maybe this is your first time or your fifth time or you've been coming for a while and a friend has invited you and you're thinking, what does it mean to be a Christian? Do I want to do this? And so it's kind of weird for you because we're talking about telling people about Christ, but you're like, I'm right here, I'm right next to you kind of thing. 
but we're going to talk about what does it mean to share the gospel. Now, for some of you, this comes really naturally to you, that you're good at sharing the story of Christ. You have conversations about faith and your faith and people who aren't Christians and people who are Christians. You have these conversations all the time, and they just come supernatural to you. And if that's you, man, that's awesome. But then there's the rest of us. And I think most of us fit in this third category of people where sharing the gospel brings about some fears and some doubts and some concerns in our hearts and in our heads. Where we, we think about that and it just, it, there's fear that overcomes us. You know, and maybe the reason that you have fear is a fear of rejection. You know, what if I share the gospel with somebody and they reject the message? Or what if I share the gospel with somebody or I share my story of faith in Christ and they reject me and, my, and our friendship and, and what would happen in that situation? Or maybe the fear for you is, well, what are people going to say? Like, you know, we're work coworkers. Am I allowed to say anything? What are they going to say to me? Or what do I say in terms of sharing the gospel? What if I get it wrong? What if I don't share all the right words or I get some verses wrong or I, what, you know, what about this? What if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? What am I going to do? How am I going to? And so we, we shrink back from talking about our faith because we're not sure what to say. For some of us, the fears that we have are more introspective, where we look in the mirror and we're like, I have sin in my life. My life is not perfect. I have not arrived, and, and so I'm not sure that I really have any right to tell somebody else what to believe. I'm not even sure. I haven't even read the whole Bible. I'm not sure. And we have these kind of fears, like I don't have my life all put together, so what right do I have to share the story of Christ with somebody else? And, and the fact is, this side of heaven, none of us will ever be perfect. I mean, if you wait till you're perfect to share the gospel, the only time that'll happen is in heaven, and those people already know the gospel. And so we have these fears. Sometimes the fears come from doubts, that we just have these doubts, like, I'm not sure I believe the Bible all the time, or there's parts of the Bible that are confusing to me, or, you know, I struggle with this, Jesus is the only way sometimes in my own life, and who am I to talk to other people? And we have these doubts. We have all of these different fears, and, and I, here's the thing, for me, as I stand here and, and share this, this is me too. Like, I have those same fears, those same doubts, those same what-do-I-say kind of questions that go through my mind. You know, when we do, we do a lot of different types of sermon series around here and messages. Like, there's some that I feel very confident because I feel like it's a strength in my life. Like, if we talk about marriage, I feel real confident in that because that's a strength of my life. If we talk about uh, how to have a one-on-one time with God in prayer and reading God's Word, I'm, I feel like that's a strength of my of my own life. But when it talks about, we talk about sharing the gospel, I'm not sharing like, hey, I got this whole thing figured out and just do exactly what I do. I'm learning right beside you trying to figure out how can I be more bold in sharing my faith. And it's interesting, we're talking about face your fear. Do you know what the, the number one command, most frequent command in the Bible is? It's not love God. It's not love your neighbor. It's not trust God, the number one command in the Bible is this, do not fear. It's said a number of different ways, do not fear, do not be terrified, do not be afraid, but that fear not in various forms 
That's the most common command because we have a tendency to be afraid. As a matter of fact, I read this week that that phrase appears 365 times in the Bible, one for each day of the year. So when it comes to facing our fears, what do we do? Because, you know, here's the thing about the drop tower that I showed you before, is if I go to Kings Island and I look at that thing, I'm like, ain't no way I'm going up there. I can just go on to the next ride. I can go ride the merry-go-round. I can go ride the racer. I can go ride the beast. I can go play those stupid video games, which is equally stupid as going up in the drop tower, if you ask me. But it's a different message. But, you know, see, that's a generosity wasteful message. But anyway, um, but here's the thing is, if I'm at Kings Island, I don't have to do the drop tower. I can just walk on by and do something else. But when it comes to sharing our faith, when it comes to you sharing your faith, you don't have another option. We are not given the freedom to just say, hey, that's not really something that I'm going to do. That every one of us are called and commanded to share our faith. It's not just those who have the gift of evangelism. It's not just those who are in full-time ministry. It's not just for those who are outgoing and, and good with communication that all of us have a role in playing in sharing the gospel. It's for every one of us. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about how do we get over our fears. We're going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 15, if you want to turn there. Luke chapter 15. And we're going to talk through this passage because I wish that getting over our fear was as easy as just flipping a switch or listening to one sermon, but it's a process that God takes us through as we understand His heart And then our hearts become more like his heart. And so we're going to look in uh, Luke chapter 15. And and by the way, I'm going to sit down. I sat down in the last service, and Keith told me I was a weenie and a wimp, but he's not my age and my back hurts. So get over it. And if you want to stand up, you can go ahead and stand up. That's fine. Okay, whatever you do. All right. So this is um, Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to begin in verse 3. It says this. So so he told him this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that that was lost." Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And so Jesus is going to tell a succession of three stories. It's really one parable, but it's also sort of three parables. But he tells this story about there's a a shepherd. He's got 100 sheep, and one of the sheep wanders off. And the problem with a sheep wandering off by itself is it's going to die eventually. A wolf is going to get it. It's going to fall over a cliff. It's going to die of starvation. It's going to drink bad water. Something's going to happen, and this sheep is going to die. And so the shepherd cares for that sheep, and he goes after that sheep, even though he already has a full flock over here. He's got 99 sheep, but that one matters to the shepherd. And if you have uh, multiple children like I do, so I have four kids, uh, you know and understand the value of every kid matters. I've got Emily, Riley, Will, and Ben, you know, and when our kids were littler, we, we lost them sometimes, and, um, 
But, you know, like if, if Will would wander off, we wouldn't go, ah, no big deal. We still got Emily, Riley, and Ben. What's one more? Like, eh, whatever. You, you don't do that. You, you care about your kids. And this shepherd cares about every one of his sheep. And what Jesus is saying is that God cares about every human being on earth. And so he says, he goes after, the shepherd goes after the one sheep. And then it says that there is rejoicing. Because every time somebody comes to salvation in Christ, there is a party that goes on in heaven. And so he calls his friends, calls his neighbor, says, there's a party that's going on. And there's a party in heaven every time somebody comes to faith in Christ. And then the next parable, it says this, verse 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So there's a woman, she has ten coins, and these coins are really important to her. It doesn't say why, maybe it was her dowry, maybe it was her life savings, maybe they just had sentimental value, but she loses one. And she goes looking for it, and she searches the whole house. She turns the whole house over until she finds that one coin. Why? Because it has value to her. You know, we do the same thing in our house, it seems like, about every other week, except we do the search for the one remote. Does anybody ever do that in your house? You know, we've got, I counted this week, we have 16 cushions in our living room. And there have been times when I have taken all 16 of those cushions off to find the one remote because I'm too lazy to get up and actually push a button on the TV, right? And then I finally find out where the room is. I look under the couch and under there, and I pull out the remote and like six River Ridge pens. Anybody ever happen with that, <laughs> right? Why do I do that? Because that remote has value to me. This coin had value to her, and there's a party that happens, and this represents that each person is valuable to God. And then there's the last story. It's sometimes called the story of the prodigal son, or sometimes it's the parable of the lost son. But it's this story, and, and it's kind of longer, so I'll just paraphrase it. But basically, there's a father, and he has two sons. And the younger son comes to him and says, Dad, can I have my part of the inheritance? So when you die, I'm going to get it anyway. So I kind of wish you were dead. Can I have it now? So he takes all the money. He goes off and says he squandered his wealth in wild living. You know, think about all the stuff that you could squander your wealth and wallowing. And it seems like it happens pretty quickly. You know, it's probably money spent on, on women and booze and gambling and pretty much everything you find in Morgantown and Las Vegas, that's what he's doing here, right? He goes off in this crazy bender. And then it says this. Comes to his senses and says this. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So this guy was so hungry. His job was to feed pigs, pig slop, the leftover from everybody else, and says he was so hungry that he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. But they said, no, 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 that's too good for you. You can't eat the pig food. You don't make that much money. What an awful place to be. And so it says he comes to his senses, and he realizes his 
father's hired hands have it way better than he does. So he puts together, he rehearses this apology speech to his dad, and he sets out for his home. And then he arrives home, and he's walking with his head down, is the way I picture it, and his dad sees him a long way off and says his dad ran to him. And before he could even get out his apology speech, his dad throws his arms around him and welcomes him back, puts a ring on his finger, gives him a robe, and it says he killed a fatted calf and they had a party for him. They celebrate. And that father represents the same way that God feels every single time that somebody comes to faith in Christ. When you came to faith in Christ, there was that sort of celebration. No matter what you'd done, no matter what your Morgantown or Las Vegas or Pig Slop looked like, he welcomed you back. That's the kind of God that we are in relationship with. I want us to understand a few things about God and a few things about facing our fears because we have got to face our fears. We don't have the option of not facing our fears. So I want to look back at these three stories and I want us to see three things that will help us to get over our fears or help us to face our fears. First one comes in Luke chapter 15 at the beginning, verse 1 and 2. And these three stories were not told in a vacuum that they were told on a specific occasion for a specific purpose to a specific group of people. And this tells us who and what and why in verse 1 and 2. It says, For the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to hear him, that's to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, Jesus had become friends with sinners. He'd become friends with the bad people in town, the people that everybody else shunned. And it wasn't just that he talked to them occasionally at the grocery store or walked along the, the road. It says that he eats with them. In the end, that he had a genuine friendship with these people who were far from God. And that really bothered the religious leaders. They said, no, 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 you, you can't be friends with those kinds of people. Here's what I want us to understand. This story, these three stories together illustrate God's heart. And this is God's heart because God's heart beats for the lost. God's heart beats for the lost. That's why he leaves the 99 to go after the one. That's why she searches the house to find the one coin. That's why the father cares about the son that has gone, that's gone lost and missing and waits for his return because God's heart beats for the lost. And we as followers of Christ, we as Christians want to have God's heart. And so for us to have God's heart means that we also have a heart for people who are far from God. Who are the people in your life that are far from God, who are lost, that you want to gain a heart for? The second one comes from this parable as well. And it's one that appears in each one of these parables. And I don't want to miss it because it's, it's so obvious, but in, in the first one, it's the shepherd that goes looking for the lost sheep. In, in the second one, it's the woman that goes looking for the lost coin. And in the third one, it's the father who is waiting for the son to return, looking for his return. 
And here's what I want us to see, that in each one of those, that it is the God figure of the parable that is central. And here's what we need to understand, is changing hearts is God's job, not mine. We face our fear because changing hearts is God's job and not mine. And I, I tell you, I spent a lot of time this week preparing, praying, listening, thinking through this. And this one for me is so freeing to know that it's God's job and not my job for somebody to believe. This is the way that Jesus put it in, uh, in John chapter 16. It says, and when he comes, so that's the Holy Spirit, it says when the Holy Spirit comes, he, again, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world concerning, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. You see, that's the job, that's the role of the Holy Spirit, to convict people of sin, to help them believe, to make them believe, to draw hearts. And that is so freeing for me. Because that means, and for you all as well, that means I don't have to have all the right answers. That means that I don't have to have all the verses exactly right. That means that I don't have to know everything. That means that I don't have to live an absolutely perfect, flawless life so that somebody looks at my life and goes, you're perfect, I want to be like you. Can I accept Jesus? That's way too much pressure for me or for any of us. But what this means is that it's on God. It's God's job. So what do we do? We show up. We love people. We ask questions. We explain our story. We explain what we do know. But we leave it to God to explain or to change hearts. You know, we use this word evangelism about Christianity. Um, but the fact is that all of us are evangelists in different areas of life. So an evangelist is not necessarily a religious term, although we've kind of used it as a religious term. Evangelist basically means someone who shares the good news. And we do that all the time with different types of things, right? So like I'm an evangelist for Chick-fil-A cookies. Like I love Chick-fil-A cookies. I'm disappointed that Chick-fil-A isn't open on Sundays because I want to eat their cookies after I talk about it. But I love them when they're warm and gooey. and Oh, man, they're awesome, right? And you know what else I love? I love Aldi. Like, if you haven't been to Aldi, that is a great place to shop. I love it partially because it's cheap, partially because there's only one of every product enough to decide between, like, 15 types of flour. They just have flour, right? And did you notice, like, all the Aldis are set up in the same way, and so my wife can give me a list to go to Aldi, and it's the same, like, I can just follow the list, and it's in order. I love that, right? I love Aldi. Some of you have loves that you do, like, how many people are, uh, went to or thought about uh, Peace, Love, and Little Donuts open this week? There's all the buzz about that. Some of you love that, right? Oh, you got to go have those little donuts. They're awesome. And then some of you are down the, the, uh, the strip there at iFit going, I got to work out the pounds I just put on by having Peace, Love, and Little Donuts, right? We, we all have the things that we're passionate about, right? But in every one of those cases, whatever you tell people about, you are an evangelist for that thing, Right? And here's the thing is, what you do is you say, hey, Chick-fil-A cookies are awesome. But you don't go around feeling guilty if people don't eat Chick-fil-A cookies. Right? Well, this is cookies. These are, cookies are great. But you don't, you don't bear that weight. It's not your fault if they don't go eat Chick-fil-A cookies. You just have the response, not the responsibility, but the joy of telling somebody of something that you like. And that's what we're talking about when we say it's a story worth sharing. That we share our lives 
We share the truth about Christ, but the responsibility for changing hearts is not on me. It's on God, and that is so freeing. I want to give you one more reason as we talk about this, and it really comes and revolves around the word lost. And when we talk about lost, each of these parables uses lost to describe the sheep, the coin, as well as the son. And why does it use the word lost? And we're going to kind of dig in deep in just a second about this word lost. But it's interesting, as you think about being lost, when you think about being geographically lost, there are two kind of ways to be geographically lost, right? You can either know that you're lost or you don't know that you're lost, right, geographically. So if you, if you know that you're lost, you're driving along, you're like, where are we? What street is this? What city is this? You know, you know you're lost, and so, you know, if you're a guy, you just keep driving to you, fine. But if you're a woman, you stop and ask directions, right? But we, you know that you're lost. Or you can be lost, but you don't know that you're lost. You're driving along, things look familiar, and you don't realize yet that you're lost geographically. Spiritually, it's the same thing. That there are people that you know that you interact with in life who know that they're lost, they are looking for answers for life. They may be investing in Christianity. They may be investigating a myriad of different religions and, and faiths and no faiths and practices and all that kind of stuff, but they, they're looking for life, and they know they're looking for something, but they're still lost. But then we also encounter a whole lot of people who are lost, but they don't know they're lost. They're on a path that they think is going to make them happy. They're on a path that they think is going to lead to eternal life, but it's not the path of Christ, so they don't know that they're lost. Now, here's the, the neat part of this, and, and one of the privileges I have, and I love this, is I get to dig in deep into the Scriptures each week and unpack some things for you. And one of the things that's very interesting about this passage and the word lost is it's uh, the Greek word for lost, if you want to jot this down, it's uh, apolumi. It's the word apolumi, and it has a broader meaning and, and context and terminology than just lost. It's broader than that, and sometimes it's used to mean destroyed or perishing, that which is destroyed or that which is perishing or perished. And I'll give you a, a kind of a comparison here. Uh, if you know the story of Jesus, uh, after Jesus was born, Herod comes to town and he wants to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. And so it says this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. It says, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Okay, the word destroy is the word apolumi. And then if we take one of the um, options out of Luke 15, it says, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Both of those words, apolumi, are translated here. One is perish or destroy, and one is lost. And the reason I want to understand that is the lostness that Jesus is talking about is of a serious nature. It's not like, hey, I lost my keys, I'll get another one made. Ah, I lost the room, I can buy another one, or I can find it eventually. It's not that kind of loss. It is a lostness that leads to destruction. It is a lostness that leads to perishing. About, I think it was about 10 years ago, um, there was a little boy from Chestnut Ridge Church up in Morgantown. I knew him and his family and the folks up there from when I was there. And they were hiking in Dolly Sods in West Virginia. And their son had autism, and he became separated from the family somehow. And he had a game that he liked to play where he would hide and see if somebody could find him. And so this little boy hid in the bushes, 
And they called for him, and they called for him, and they called for him. And, and he didn't answer, and they couldn't find him. And very quickly, they called the police and the rescue, and it went on for two or three days searching to find this little boy with autism who wouldn't answer. And they kept calling and calling. And eventually, he was found, and he lived. But you see, that's the kind of lost that Jesus was talking about here. It is a lostness that leads to death. Here's what I want us to understand. This is the third reason that we have to face our fear. It's because the hearts of the lost will stop beating one day. The hearts of the lost will stop beating one day. The mortality rate for the world has never changed. It's 100%. Everyone dies. Here's how the author of Hebrews put it. And just as is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. That every person, when he dies or she dies, will face judgment. And the question will be, what did you do with Jesus Christ? Did you place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins? And those who have will enter into eternal life. And those who have not will enter into eternal destruction. Eternity matters. Before we get into application, I just want to pause right here and say to anybody here, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, to take that opportunity to do that this morning, to say, I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, not my own good works, not going to church, not anything else. I've placed my faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You just express that in prayer to God in your own way, and that's how salvation comes. If you want help with that or you're confused about that, I'd love to say afterwards and talk to you about that for a few minutes. So let's talk about some applications. First of all, what's your fear? As you think about your fears, what is it that holds you back from being bold and sharing the gospel? What is your fear? Here's a second application. Is I'd like you to put together a prayer list. Put down a list, put it in your Bible, put it somewhere where you see it of six, eight, ten people, whatever it is for you, of people that you care about, that you want to have a heart for, and you're going to pray that they would hear about Christ. You know, one of the things we have around at River Ridge, one of our core values is we say an empty seat is a serious thing. In other words, we want to see the seats around us that are empty and say we want to see our friends there. You know, maybe as you look at a seat in front of you or a seat next to you, look at that and picture a friend of yours that you want to see come to know Christ sitting next to you one day in the future and begin to pray for that person. And then here's the third application. is In the seat back in front of you, you have a little yellow card like this. You can pull this out, and I want you to take this with you. We're going to do a three-week series, or excuse me, a three-week evangelism training workshop or seminar. Uh, it'll be starting next Sunday, and it'll be Sundays for three weeks, Tuesdays for three weeks, or Wednesdays for three weeks. Come on any day of those weeks for three weeks. And we're going to talk about how do we share our faith. We're going to give you some practical how-tos of sharing your faith in terms of sharing your story. How do you do that effectively? How do you sit down and present the gospel to somebody? So I'd like you to come and be a part of that. Put that on your calendar. That begins next Sunday. And we'll have child care for that. For those who are fifth grade and below, sixth grade and above, we want to be a part of this. Really, honestly, fourth and fifth graders, maybe even third graders could be a part of this if you want as well. But we'll have babies. Come, that'll start next Sunday. 
I want to come back to this parable as we close out. And the band, you guys can come on up. Um, and I've asked them to stay and to, and to sing this song with us. And uh, the song is called Reckless Love. And it's a song that we've sung a couple times at River Ridge, maybe you've heard on the radio. But it's this song that talks about the reckless love of God and how God leaves the 99 to go after the one. And you are the one. Before you came to know Christ, God cared about you so much that he left the 99 to work on you. And the same is true for all the people in your life that don't know Christ. They are the one. And so I want to close just by us joining with the band to sing this song about the one who has this reckless love for us, who loves us that much. After the band plays, I'll come up and close in prayer and then dismiss us.